I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been talking to you about how Israel went after other gods in the Old Testament. They went after Baal. Baal is the same thing as Hercules. They had different names in different cultures and societies. Baal was the same thing as Jupiter in Rome. And these were sun gods. And the female deities were called tree goddesses. That would include the grove that Israel went after. And the grove was the female deity represented by the tree, that is the Christmas tree, and by the moon upon the earth. And I have put years and years of study in this. I mean, 30, 40 years into it. And this is the reason that Israel was scattered. And I've been talking to you about Jeremiah. We've been talking about how Jeremiah said, God creates evil. Evil. And God created evil because of Israel rebelling against him and how that uh, they would not be obedient to his word. And Jeremiah says this as much as anybody. There are 52 chapters in the book of Jeremiah. And we've been going through Jeremiah. Jeremiah, got he went through the streets. God told him in the first chapter, go to the gates of the city and the gate of the temple and shout to everybody there that judgment's coming because of this this evil that you've gone after other gods when he's the one that brought you out of Egypt and gave you this land. Well, they were disobedient to God in many ways. They wouldn't keep his laws. They oppressed the poor and the needy. And God told Moses, you tell them, you tell Israel. He said this in the book of Leviticus. He said, you tell Israel and Deuteronomy. He said, you tell them if they oppress the widow and the orphan, that if the widow and the orphan cry unto me, I'll hear their cry. And you tell Israel, I'll kill them with a sword. Now, that's pretty evil if you talk about God creating evil. God says, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. When he created evil, evil was his switch. It was his peach tree limb. Like a father would say, go out there and get me a peach tree limb. And a kid would bring it in and he'd spank him with it. That's what these people were. David said, deliver me from the wicked, which is thy sword and thy hand, God. And the sword of God was evil man that he brought upon Israel. And he brought it upon everybody that was disobedient. Well, for 40 years, Joshua was walking through the streets. 40 years from 626 B.C. He knew a lot of kings. He knew he had experienced a lot of people. To 586 B.C. And 586 is where Nebuchadnezzar comes in and levels Jerusalem and just kills everybody that's not willing to come to Babylon. He said, if you're willing to go, you go to Babylon, and you'll be there 70 years, and then I'll deal with the hearts of these wicked kings, and they will, I don't know that they were as wicked as we would think, because when you're talking about Cyrus, 
Darius and Artaxerxes, they're the ones that gave these decrees for Israel to go back and rebuild their temple and their city that Nebuchadnezzar had burnt to the ground and carried away millions of people into Babylon. Well, after you go through this so long, Jeremiah just got really depressed. And he said, I'm going to quit. Well, let's read about that. And it's real easy to want to quit when you're a preacher of truth. Jeremiah was not a preacher of conversion. He was a preacher of judgment and doom to Israel. And he says over here in the 20th chapter, now I'm going to be going through the 33rd chapter, but I skipped this when I came through it. In the 20th chapter, verse 7, this is Jeremiah speaking to the Lord. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, God, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I am and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily, Everybody's mocking me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil because the word of God was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then he says, Then I said, I will not make mention of God nor speak any more about God in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I couldn't quit. I said, I quit, but I can't. Boy, you think I haven't been there. As a burning fire shut up in my bones and was weary with forbearing, and I could not stop. Stay means to stop. For I heard the, I heard the defaming of many, Fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will be reported. All my familiars, the people that knew me, my family and my friends, watched for my halting. They were waiting for me to fall. Now, come on, Jeremiah. You can't keep on doing this. Saying, peradventure he will be enticed and we will prevail against him and we shall take our revenge on Jeremiah. Boy, the people were out to get him, weren't they? It reminds us over here in First Kings. Boy, when these guys stood up against the opposition, when you go to First Kings... And you go to the 19th chapter. Elijah had killed, had ordered the death of 450 priests of Baal when he stood there on Mount Carmel. And he said, Lord, you bring fire from heaven and show these people who you are. And then when he, then he takes off and he backs away and Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah in the verse 2, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of these priests of Baal that you had killed, you're going to die by tomorrow about this time. And boy, Elijah got real depressed. 
if you get depressed as a believer, you couldn't, you can't even stand in the shade of these two guys. And when he saw that he arose and ran for his life, he was up there in northern Israel, right close to Mount Carmel. That's where he faced these priests of Baal. He's right up north. He was up here in northern Israel. And he's right at Mount Carmel. And right above that is what we call Lebanon or Tyre and Sidon. And that's why Ahab, who was king of northern Israel, married Jezebel. He was His palace was right there at Carmel. And he runs into her one day and marries her and brings her gods down into Israel. And then Elijah says he just he ordered all 450 priests of Baal dead and verse 4 of chapter 19 says but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness he ran all the way down running from Jezebel he ran all the way down into the Negev desert just south of Israel and he gets real depressed. You think you've been depressed? What if you had the uh, 450 of the enemy's priest killed and the woman that's ahead of all of them, she's chasing you. And then he says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself. He requested from God that he might die. It's time for me to die. I've done all I can do. And said, it's enough. I'm ready to die, God. This woman's after me. And then he said, oh, Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my fathers that have been killed one after another. Now, doing what they did, they both did, Jeremiah and Elijah, is very depressing because the world hates you for telling truth. When I preach, predestination is true. God does not love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau. For they were born, for either one had done any good or evil. When I tell the world that Christmas and Easter are paganism, and they're the same thing as Mardi Gras and Halloween in different cultures in the ancient world, people get angry at me and want to kill me. They say they think something's wrong with me. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas and Easter 300 years ago in America. And that's because of the Puritans. The Puritans were families in Europe. And the Roman Catholic Church, they had multiplied into the millions. The Waldenses, the Huguenots, the Cathars, these different families. And they had slaughtered 50 to 100 million of them over a seven-year period in Europe. And they came to America and said... We're, we're not going to allow anything to come to this new country that is Roman Catholic, that has uh, papacy rule over it. That's the Pope. They said, we're not going to allow that. So they renamed themselves Puritans, purifying this nation. And they said, we won't have it. Now, where I am, we've gone through Jeremiah. We've gone through chapter after chapter I want you to see just how this man gets depressed 
We don't know exactly what happened to him. The Bible doesn't say. We know that when Nebuchadnezzar came in and slaughtered Israel, carried most of them away, and he pulled the temple down, all the stones off the temple, and he burnt the city, Jerusalem, to the ground and plowed it up, sowed salt to it so nothing could grow there. And Jerusalem, after Nebuchadnezzar got through with it, looked like wasteland. It was the worst it could be. And Jeremiah is preaching all through this book about this. Now you're going to get, we've already gotten to it. I'm going back through and I'm outlining the highlights of Jeremiah's life. I like this man. He's, he is, I've said, he's my hero. If there's anybody that didn't care about what he said, he said, God said for me to say this. And God told Jeremiah, I'll protect your life. You just keep telling these truths till the end. And they liberated Jeremiah. When Nebuchadnezzar came in with his armies, Nebuchadnezzar was his commanding general. And he told Nebuchadnezzar, this man Jeremiah has been honorable. Nebuchadnezzar sounds like he was a believer because God struck him down on his all fours in that fourth chapter of Daniel. And after he had said, see great Babylon that I have built, God struck him down on his all fours to eat grass with the cattle of the field for seven times. It was probably seven months until his hair grew out like bird's feathers and his fingernails grew out out like bird claws. And Nebuchadnezzar stood up on his feet. When he came back to his right mind, the Bible says, stood on his feet and he said, All the inhabitants of the earth, this is Nebuchadnezzar's words, the inhabitants of the earth, all the inhabitants of the earth, are reputed as nothing. The Lord doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou? That was Nebuchadnezzar's words. A man you think of as a heathen, but he couldn't have been if he really believed that. If he says, Nobody can arrest the hand of God from doing what he wants. He struck me down. Now, I want us to go over here to the 33rd chapter. The 33rd chapter of Jeremiah reads much like the 34th chapter of Ezekiel. When you get over to Ezekiel, the 34th chapter of Ezekiel, all through Ezekiel, he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying... All through Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying... Well, the word of the Lord was Jesus pre-incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's in John, the first chapter. And all things were made by the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus. When it speaks of the Word of God all through Jeremiah and all through Ezekiel, that is Jesus before he was called Jesus. Jesus pre-incarnate. He was the third person of the Godhead in the Old Testament. Let's go to chapter 33 of Jeremiah. Moreover, the word of the Lord came into Jeremiah, the word Jesus. Except he wasn't called Jesus, then he was called the word. The second time, while he was yet shut up in the 
in the prison saying this is God coming to Jeremiah while he's in the prison we found in 32 and 2 he was in the prison and now he's still in prison this is before he is hung in the mire by Zedekiah Jeremiah had all these preachers he had when you see you see here on this chart Jeremiah is there. This means, this era means he's here through all of these kings. He was there through Josiah, through Jehoahaz, Josiah's son, Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, the son of Josiah. Three of these are Josiah's children. Josiah was righteous. Not one of those was really righteous, but God brought the seed of Judah through Jehoiakim in the first chapter of Matthew. He's in Jesus' lineage, except he's called Jeconiah in the first chapter of Matthew. Jeconiah is a contraction for Jehoiakim. Now, all right, let's keep reading. Thus saith the Lord, that the maker thereof, the maker Whoa, the maker who made all things. See, when Jeremiah preaches, he goes through a whole lot of theology. If you look over in Isaiah, the 54th chapter, verse 5, for thy maker is thy husband. He's talking to Israel. Jesus was the maker of all things. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was made flesh. And all things were made by the Word. And maker, maker is not the creator. Jesus was the creator. But make and create are two different words. Make usually has to do with a potter. The maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. What did Peter say in Acts, the third chapter? He said, you killed the prince of life, the holy one and the just. So the holy one is Jesus. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. That's Christ. He's the God of the earth. Trying to understand the father. He put us, he gave us a go-between with Jesus. He gave us something we could understand. Because he came in fleshly bodies. People ask me, what's it going to be like with our new bodies? Well, I don't think anybody knows that. Nobody's been in one and been back here. I don't know. So let's get back to 33 of of, uh, Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah's got some interesting... We've got some things that preachers will quote. That next verse is a common quote by preachers. There's a couple of verses here in Jeremiah that's always quoted by every Baptist preacher in the country. You've got Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? They pull that out, but they won't look at the rest of the book. And they pull this out in 33 and 3. Call unto me. He's talking to Israel. 
called unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He's talking to an apostate Israel. And he also says, they can't hear. And he told Jeremiah, never pray for Israel. They can't hear. He says, I will not answer your prayer if you pray for them. He said that in Jeremiah the 7th chapter and Jeremiah the 14th chapter. So when he's saying, call unto me, but they can't call because he's not going to hear them. So you have to think of that when you're reading this verse. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city, Jerusalem, and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mounts. The word mount means the besiegers, the people who are, is somebody who builds up a little mountain uh, in front of the city walls, and they, they have those mounts, and they got all this wood up there across the way, and that was a rampart, it's called a rampart, so they can tack and they can throw spears from that distance. And they came to fight with the Chaldeans. Boy, that's like saying, that's like saying this little boy came to fight with the champion uh, of the UFC. And he's five years old and he's going to fight these guys with his toy knife. There's no way they can fight against the Babylonians. Chaldean means astrologers, and all those Babylonians were called astrologers. But it is filled, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of Israelite men. People say God won't create evil, and He calls Nebuchadnezzar in to do this? You're kidding whom I have slain in my anger and in my fury. You want to be on the receiving end of God's fury while he casts people into hell? I don't want to be on that end of it. He says in, in Ezekiel, the 38th chapter, when I get angry, my fury is going to come up in my face. I'm going to get red in the face at the enemies of Israel when I destroy them. For all whose wickedness have I hid my face from this city. He says the funniest thing, the next verse. Behold, I will bring it health and cure. What? When are you going to bring health and cure Israel? No time soon. When he says that, they're under attack by Nebuchadnezzar. And it's not going to happen after Nebuchadnezzar, because after Nebuchadnezzar, you got all of these. You have Nebuchadnezzar, and you got all these other rulers of Babylon down to Belshazzar. And then you've got Belshazzar being overthrown by Cyrus, the king of Persia. And then you have Darius and Artaxerxes. And eventually you have, and Israel is under the rule of all these people. So when he says, I said it the last message, when he says, I will bring health and cure and I will cure them, speaking of Israel, it's not going to be soon. 
I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. They're not going to have peace for a long time. For at least, when Nebuchadnezzar overthrows Israel in 586, I have read to you all these nations that ruled him after, after Babylon, after Babylon came Persia, and this is nothing less than Iran and Pakistan and, and Iran. Iran is the very seat of the old Persian Empire. That's right east of, of Babylon or Iran. And they're always fighting each other today. And then after Persia, then Alex the Great of Greece is going to take over. And all of these people are going to be ruling and misruling Israel. Then after Alex the Great is going to come Rome. And Rome's going to be in charge of Israel until 70 A.D., And for 200 years after that, no Jews were allowed in Jerusalem. (laughs) And then after that, they go from one nation to the other. The, I've got that paper here. I gave it to all of you. After that comes the Persian general, Carosus, comes in in 614. These verses cannot mean this is going to happen immediately. And then after that, Heraclius, uh, the invader, Carosus, entering Jerusalem in triumph. And then after that, 51 years later, 637, uh, Omar Khalif, the Arab, takes over Jerusalem. After that, the Dome of the Rock is built, erected by Mohammed, and that was in 688. And then 969, Jerusalem fell under the power of Shai Caliph of Egypt. And then after that, Caliph Hakim, the son of a Christian, began his devastating work in Jerusalem. He wasn't much of a Christian. And then 30,000 churches were pillaged and burned in 10,000 and 1014. And then two years later, the persecution stopped when Hakim, this is an Arab, an Islamic person, became convinced that he was divine. And all of these guys, all the way, I've gave you this paper. I've already given that to you. All the way, all the way to May 14th, 1948. And there was war constantly between the Jews and the Islamic people all along that way. Islam. That was started by Mohammed in around 536 uh, B.C. And they, they constantly fought the Jews. And in May 14, 1948, they met at the National Council at Tel Aviv, which was the capital of Israel back then. And they met the National Council, which was United Nations National Council. They declared him a nation for the first time since Nebuchadnezzar had carried him away. They had never been a nation all that time. And people would say, what about when Jesus was here? The only people that were back 
during Jesus' time was southern Judah, which was comprised of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Northern Israel was the ten northern tribes. They were called the ten lost tribes. They wasn't here at that time. That was a mixture of Assyrians and Jews in northern Israel, and the Pharisees wouldn't even step front in northern Israel because of that very thing. So they wasn't here during Jesus' day. Only two tribes were back. The point I'm getting at is that these verses that say what this says here, I will bring Jerusalem health and cure. I will cure them. He's talking about way down the road, a long time after this. They were always in the Old Testament under the beast world system. Even in the New Testament, Rome was ruling, and that's the beast with iron teeth. And we reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. That you realize from verse 5 to verse 6, you transcend 2,600 years at the minimum just from these two verses. That does that often in the Bible. I will bring it health and cure. I will cure them. I will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel, that's northern Israel, to come back again. Whoa. That's talking about a long way down the road. Long way. Because they didn't come back here. Even when they gave the decree for Israel to go back and rebuild their temple, that began with Ezra, if you want to go back over there. Ezra, in the book of Ezra, the decree was given in Ezra, the first chapter, the first few verses. Ezra and Nehemiah. Let me get over here. Ezra. This will show you when the decree was given by the by by the uh, Persians. The Persian king gave the decree. Let me show you something here. It's interesting to notice. There's a lot of chapters that go together. This 36th chapter of Second Chronicles is a sister chapter to the first chapter of Ezra. It's also a sister chapter to every time that Babylon overthrew Israel. And that would go along with all these places I've talked about. And he says here, look at verse 21. God says he, that Nebuchadnezzar carried away Everything to Babylon. First chapter 36, verse 21. And he carried everything to Babylon to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. Seventy years. They had 70 sets of those sabbatical years. Seventy times seven. That's 490 years. They never kept those sabbatical years. 
and that was one of God's requirements. You have to have some kind of crop rotation or the land will burn up all its nutrients and won't grow anything. That was God's program. He didn't explain to these people, you've got to have crop rotation. He just said, don't plant or, or harvest anything every seventh year. Leave it alone. It'll be for the poor and the animals and the beasts of the field. And then he says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score, that's 60, 20 is a score, three, three to 20 is 60, and 10 years, 70 years. And then when you go to the next verse, they do this a lot through the Bible. You go to the next verse, that's Cyrus. When verse 21 is to fulfill that the land joy or Sabbath. So when you go from 21 to 22, this is what you do. And you got to learn to read the Bible this way. When you study the times in the Bible, from 21, that's 586 B.C. That's verse 21 in this chapter. When you go to 22, that's when Cyrus comes in and overthrows Babylon. That's 539. That's, we're talking about 9 and 7, 16, 3 from 7 is 4. That's 47 years later. When you go from verse 21 to 22, you jump 47 years that far. When you, you did the same thing over in when he says, I will bring it health and cure in verse 6 of chapter 23, you jump in 2,600 years at least. And then back over here in, in verse 22 of chapter 36 of Second Chronicles. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that's 539, we know that. B.C., that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. So Jeremiah has written his word before this, even though he's later down in the book. He's already written his word. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kings of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem that's the temple so when you leave second chronicles you're already building the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed in the earliest verses and that's 47 years later so let's go back over here to the third, twenty-third, the thirty-third chapter of Jeremiah. So when he says, "Behold, I bring it health and cure," it's not going to happen quick. At least twenty-six hundred years from the writing of this book, I will cure them. <laughs> That's not going to be anytime soon. And we reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return, and will build them as at the first. 
They were one nation at the first, wasn't they? One nation. See, if you don't pay any attention to the little words, if you don't pay any attention to the little words, you don't understand what he's talking about. As at the first means to make one nation. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. That The Jews don't even believe in Jesus today. Is this talking about the church or is it talking about them? And we'll pardon all their iniquities, but he's going to have to rebuke them for their sin. Whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me, worshiping Bell in the Grove, the same system that's called the Christ Mass, Christmas. And it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and honor, before all the nations of the earth which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. All the good that I do unto them. The only good he's done so far is allow them to be declared a nation by men. But they're going to have to be delivered. I believe that there's going to be a great attack upon Israel according to the 38th chapter of Ezekiel. But at the same time, there's going to be attack upon the church. When he says, when they repent, repentance means that's all of them that repent. You don't get to go to heaven because you're a Jew by name and you come from one of these tribes. You have to believe in the word. Jesus, the one that came to him. And let me give you something here. When you're reading one of these prophets, you got to go to the other prophets to see what he's saying. And they say the same thing. Isaiah said this same thing in Isaiah, the 11th chapter. Turn to Isaiah 11. See, one of these prophets is not by himself in these, in these prophecies. In Isaiah 11, he says the same thing that this breach between Judah and Northern Israel will be healed at the end of time. Now, and he says the same thing in Ezekiel 27. I'm not 27, 37. Look here in the, in the 11th chapter. When I'm thinking of Israel coming back into one nation, I think of, of Isaiah 11, Ezekiel 36 and 37, and I think of those things that I, that Jeremiah sang all through these chapters. Sarah Jeremiah says this over and over again that God's going to bring them back. When you get over to over to the eleventh chapter of Isaiah, you got to put these chapters together. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. David was the son of Jesse. And out of David, eventually would come Jesus. He is in the lineage of Christ. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Well, I haven't gotten to it yet, but I need to read that in the 15th verse of the 33rd chapter of Jeremiah. The 15th verse says, In those days at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he the branch is a he see little words matter 
he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. He says the same thing in Zechariah about the branch. The branch is Christ when you go to Zechariah, the the third chapter. Zechariah, the third chapter. That's the next to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah, the third chapter. And he talks about this branch, which is Christ. The third chapter, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wandered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. The branch is the same thing as the root. Jesus is the root out of dry ground. And he is the, he is the root of the, in the, that 15th chapter of John. I am the root, you're the branches. And he tells us that. Now let's go back over here to the same thing that Jeremiah is saying. Isaiah says in the 11th chapter. And the Spirit of the Lord, that's amazing. The Spirit of the Lord, you think that's the same thing as the Spirit of the Lord in the New Testament? I guess it is. The Holy Spirit's truth. So you can use New Testament words with this. Holy Spirit is truth. So, let's read it this way. The truth of the Lord shall rest upon the branch, and he's the one that's going to bring forth righteousness. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord is going to come from the branch, which is Christ, which he's also the word. And look here in verse 5. And righteous shall be the girdle of his, his is the branch, his loins, and faithfulness and girdle of his loins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb in this kingdom that he's talking about. He's not talking about real wolves. He's talking about false teachers shall dwell with the lambs, which is us. A time will come when we will be able to live in the world, which is where we are now, with False teachers. Wolves were always false teachers. That's what Jesus said they were. He said the wolf will come and devour you. And he said, he said that in the, in the 20th chapter of Acts, Paul said, when I leave the church here at Ephesus, grievous wolves will come in and not spare the flock. So the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lay down with the kid. When you look at the beast world system, it was like a lion, a bear, and a leopard in Daniel 4, wasn't it? So it's the lion, the bear, and the leopard. Well, he's going to describe those right here. The leopard shall lie down with the baby goat or the baby lamb, and the calf and the young lion. Young lions are very dangerous. That's why he's talking about. So you got the lion, you got the leopard, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear. Lion, bear, leopard, that's, we know that's not talking about literal lions, bears, and leopards, 
by verse that's going to follow here. And the cow and the bear shall feed. The bear is the world ruling system. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, a poisonous snake. Always when you see serpents or asp, that's usually talking about, nearly always talking about false teachers. And the wind child shall put his hand on the cockatrice then another another poison serpent, which is a picture of false teachers. To know that these all are not literal lambs and literal bears and literal serpents and literal cockatrice. Read verse 9. And they, this bear, this leopard, this, all these poison creatures shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. The holy mountain of God was Zion. He said, they shall not destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters that cover the sea. That is a prophecy of the Gentiles receiving the truth. Isaiah says all through his book, the Gentiles shall come to the light. That's the Gentile church. And then he says, in that day, this will show you that this is talking about the end of time. He's not talking about, he's not talking about what's happening right then. He says, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, Jesus. Jesse had David, and then David has Solomon, and in the first chapter of Matthew you can see that works all the way down to Jesus. Which shall stand for an ensign, an oath, a sign of the people to it the Gentiles will seek and his rest shall be glorious. Then he says, and it shall come to pass in that day, in the day when when the little child will lead the lion, we will lead the world beast system. And it shall come to pass in that day the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. That's northern Israel, southern Judah, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath. These were places where the children of Israel were scattered all over the world by the beast. And from Hamath and the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations means a flag, and shall assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That didn't, it's not something that happened back in that day and time. That would happen after May 14th, 1948. They would be gathered again. And the envy, here's what the amazing thing here. And the envy of Ephraim, that's northern Israel. And they were always fighting southern Judah. 
shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off and Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim anymore. They will come together at the end of time. And they're together. That's not future. It was future from the time that Isaiah wrote these words, but it's not future to us. They're together in one nation now. And that's exactly... The envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. And Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. And they shall flap on the shoulders of the Philistines to the west. (laughs) That's good. West of Israel is the land of the Philistines, or what we call the Gaza Strip. Right down here. It's Israel. And they will flap on the Philistines to the west. That's what it's talking about. These words make sense if you study it according to maps. Are they flying up on the, up on the Philistines constantly? The, the retired colonel that came here, he was always going on, on missions over into the Gaza Strip. To either do some destruction to them or something along that line. So, but they shall flap on the shoulders of Philistines to the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They drove out. Those from the east was this place called Jordan. They drove the Jordanians out of Jerusalem to the east. They drove them out of Jerusalem in the Six-Day War, June 5th through June 10th. June 5th through 10th. So these verses right here is talking about June 5th through June 10th. They'd never had possession of Jerusalem for 2,600 years until the Six-Day War of 1967. And they shall spoil them of the east together, and they shall lay their hands upon Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon. Moab is northern Jordan, and Moab is southern Jordan. Northern Jordan is the land of Ammon. It's just like Jordan looks like a looks like a pan with a handle on it. They spoiled. In the Six-Day War, they drove out the Jordanians from Jerusalem and got possession. That goes along with Luke with Luke 21, 24. They, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword. doesn't say for 2,600 years, but that's what it was. For 2,600 years, until the times of the Gentile rule is finished. It's finished. It's done now. That means... The end of time can be just a few steps down the road. And I hope it is. I've been so tired of a world that doesn't believe God. And then when you... Chapter 11 goes along with Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. Ezekiel says the same thing about Judah and Jerusalem. When you go with Ezekiel, you go to Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. Ezekiel 37. You've got to tie these 
chapters together. And and Jeremiah keeps saying, I will call my people back. Let me give you something comfortable before I go over to the 37th chapter. Look here in the ninth chapter of Amos. Ninth chapter of Amos. This is comforting as far as Israel is concerned. Ninth chapter, verse 14, he's saying the same thing that Isaiah 11 says. He's saying the same thing that Jeremiah 33 is saying. And they said over and over again. Verse 14. Well, let's read 13 14. And behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. He's simply saying that Israel is going to be such a profitable land at the end of time. It's going to grow crops easily. And it's been called a wasteland for centuries, for millennia. In fact, when I was a little boy in elementary school, I remember the teacher saying, Israel was a wasteland. They found out since then that it's one of the richest lands upon the earth, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Verse 14, I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel. And they shall build the waste cities. That didn't happen immediately. That's talking about the future. And inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and drink the wine thereof, and they shall make gardens, and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. These people that attack Israel, they don't know what they're doing. It's not going to happen. Nobody's going to beat them. And then you have the spiritual Jew, spiritual Israel. Let's go back to Jeremiah 33. So anytime Jeremiah's talking about this, why well, didn't go to didn't go to Ezekiel? I got to go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. This is the chapter of dry bones. It's talking about Israel being dead for a long, long time. 2,600 years. And they are. They've been dead that long. And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. That's the same spirit that was upon Isaiah. It was upon Jeremiah. And it's the truth. And set me down in the midst of the valley that was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. The reason they were very dry, they'd been dead a long time. How about 2,600 years before they come alive again? And said unto me, Son of man, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, only you know that. I don't know. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones. This is one of the best pictures of predestination. We preach to the dead elect, and they come alive by the Spirit of God. Prophesy upon these bones and send them. O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 
the head and bone connected to the neck bone, the neck bone connected to the shoulder bone, the shoulder bone connected to that's what the Valley of Dry Bones is. It's about Israel coming alive after being dead a long time. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath. Remember the word breath in the Greek is pneuma. And Holy Spirit is hagios pneuma. And the Holy Spirit is truth. This is talking about Israel coming alive again. It's been 2,600 years since they were alive as a... I don't believe they get to go to heaven because they're Jews. You have to come through Jesus. They have to believe. I believe there's probably a remnant over there that's going to believe. Now, he goes on to say, Only you know, Lord. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It's not Ezekiel that's going to bring them alive. It'll be God. And thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you. This is like building their body before he brings them alive. And I will bring flesh upon you. That's like what they are right now. And cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. The foot bone connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the knee bone, the knee bone connected to the, and that, and so forth. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. He made them a body before he made them alive. Israel is a body today, but they're not alive spiritually. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds. Israel, four winds was a term for the entire earth. In the old world, they said they only had four directions, north, south, east, and west. That was the four winds. That's where they were scattered to the four winds. O breath, and breath upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet as exceeding great army, Israel. Then said he unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. It's Ephraim and the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes of Judah. It's all of them at once. And they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We're cut off for all that we did. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. 
And as of May 15, 1948, they started migrating back from Russia, from the United States, from all over Europe. They started going home. And you shall know that I am the Lord, whom, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. And then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. That doesn't happen sometimes soon after these prophecies. It happens at least over 2,000 years down the road. And the word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, Ezekiel, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah. That's the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And for the children of Israel, that's northern Israel. That's the ten tribes that are led by Ephraim and his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim. Joseph's second-born son was Ephraim, and he received all the inheritance of Israel. You can find that in the 48th chapter of Genesis. When Jacob crossed his hands and put his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, giving him the inheritance. You don't have the nation without the one that has the inheritance. And that's all they had. And with southern Judah, they had the king, but they didn't have the one who owned owned the whole thing. And all the house of Israel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall be one nation in thine hand. When the children of Israel shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what what thou meanest by these? And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is Ephraim, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, which is the ten northern tribes, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one nation at the end of time. And they shall be one in my hand. That's what they are now. And this is the sign of the end came before down the road and the sticks whereupon thou ridest shall be in thine hand before their eyes and send to them thus saith the Lord behold I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen I scattered them by the beast all over the world whither they be gone and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land where I took away from them by Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and all these nations that ruled them until May of 1948. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. What do you mean by mountains? Zion and Moriah. Moriah is where the temple was built. Zion is the old city. Zion means light or to shine. The One king shall be king over them all, and they shall no more be two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. They're one nation today. Neither shall they defile themselves any more. Well, they haven't come alive yet, because they haven't believed the truth yet. 
when he says, I'll breathe breath into them, I'll make them alive, he doesn't mean I'll do that overnight. And they defile themselves no more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. That did, that, he wasn't talking about something's going to happen back in this day and time. Because it didn't happen. It didn't happen until May of 48 and June of 67. And so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king. It's not talking about literal David. It's talking about the son of David. Christ is the son of David. He'll be my king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and serve my statutes and do them. This is a picture of the end of time it has to be the bible says when these things begin to come to pass look up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh god's going to take us out of this world when these things start happening let's go back over to jeremiah 33 it's hard to get through jeremiah well he talks about everything in his book the same things that Isaiah and Ezekiel talk about and Amos talks about and all the rest of the prophets. they all saying the same thing. They're judging, pronouncing judgment against Israel because they went after other gods. You say, we don't go after other gods. Are you sure of that? I think America, I believe America is one of the most wicked nations that's ever existed because of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Philogoria. P-H-I-L-A-R-G-U-R-I-A. That's the word love of money. It comes from philos, which is the word affection. Philos is a form of phileo. That's one of the words that's ambiguously been translated into love. Well, that just means to have affection or like. You can like, you can like anything. God is love is never the word phileo. It's always agape. Walking in his commandments, second John six, this is agape, this is love, that we walk after his commandments. And the love of money, the affection for argury, A-R-G-U-R-Y. We got our word argue from that. Men like to argue with God when they like to shine. When they like to, when they love money, they want to shine. They have a love of augury, which means silver or shining. They like to shine, and money will buy that for them. They like attention. They like somebody to brag on them. Well, with lots of money, you can have lots of bragging on you. People say, look at this money. Isn't that great? Uh, uh, Bill Gates has got $190 billion. He gets to go to hell in about 20 years, too. There's no way Bill Gates can be a believer. You ever heard him talking about a a daily cross, have you? You never heard him talking about self-denial. You never heard him talk about 
you have to be infamous. And Bill Gates is famous as one of the richest men in the world. If you're famous, the Bible says, Bless you, when men shall reproach you. Reproach, adienzo, means to be infamous. It's the exact opposite of famous. All right. Let's go back over here and read some of this 33rd chapter. Every time Jeremiah talks about, I will bring them back. We've seen all the other prophets said it too. But he didn't do that till 1948, 1967. They had several wars there. The, the, they had the Sinai War of 56, 57. They had the, they had the War of 73, the Yom Kippur War. And they were always outnumbered, but they came through. Now, let's continue reading here. How much time do I have, Mike? All right. Let's keep reading here in chapter 33. It's hard for me to get through Jeremiah real quick. I was going to give you high points of Jeremiah. I don't see how I can give you high points without reading through the book. Verse 10. Thus saith the Lord. Uh, well, let me read 9. It shall be to me a name of joy, praise, and honor. That doesn't happen any time in this period of writing this book. It doesn't happen. Before all nations of the earth. That ain't going to happen for at least right at 3,000 years later. Which shall hear all the good that I do unto them, and they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it. Verse 10, Thus saith the Lord again, There shall be heard in this place which you say shall be desolate without man and without beast. That's what's happening right here, right now. While Jeremiah's writing this, this nation is being besieged by Babylon soldiers. So anything he says about prosperity coming, that has to be way in the future. Even the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate. He said they're desolate right now. So I'm not talking about something near. Without man, without inhabitant, without beast. Voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good. For his mercy endureth forever, and them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause to return the captivity of the land. Well, that doesn't happen till 2,600 years later at the very least. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again in this place, which is desolate now without men. Nebuchadnezzar's come in. Dead men are all over the streets in the fields because they were fighting Nebuchadnezzar. All they had to do was say, okay, we surrender and go with him. And they'll be in Babylon for 70 years. And then God will have the decrees given by those Persian kings for them to come back, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. And without beast, and in all the cities thereof, shall be a habitation of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. What he is saying, 
when Nebuchadnezzar gets through this and slaughters everything and everybody and carries all the people away to Babylon except the poor, this is going to be a place for shepherds and not for a temple and not for walls of Jerusalem. That's not going to be here. What he's saying is what he's going to do to it. In the cities of the mountains, the cities of the vale, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, which is where the temple is. You can see that. Look here. The temple is in Jerusalem, isn't it? There it is right there, Benjamin. And the temple is in Jerusalem. Looking at a map sure does help, doesn't it? And he says... Which verse was I in? All right. And in the land of Benjamin, places of this is verse thirteen. In the places about Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, shall the fox pass again under the hands of him that telleth them, saith the Lord. It's just simply saying this is going to be a land of shepherds until. A decree has been given to rebuild the city and the temple. It's going to be a wasteland. And only shepherds are going to live here with their flocks. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's the whole nation. He intermixes these promises of God to bring them back with these promises to destroy them that your the place is burnt to the ground and you have no hope looks like but I'm not going to reject you and my promises verse 15 in those days at that time I will cause the branch of righteousness in what days when he builds up Jerusalem when he brings them back to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. That's not talking about when Jesus was here. They wasn't listening. It's talking about when he comes back the second time. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. Jerusalem and Judah are the same thing, because Jerusalem is in Judah. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called The Lord, our righteousness. I don't know that that's not talking about spiritual Israel. Because there is a spiritual Israel. Israel is always spiritual. If you didn't believe, you had to die. If you didn't believe. And when they were in the wilderness, he said, everybody that don't believe, you can go up there and conquer the the people of Anak. I won't make you one of the wilderness till I kill off all those people. Just because you're a Jew don't mean you get to go to heaven. Verse 17. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. He'll never need a man to sit. Jesus will always be the king sitting on the throne. He sits on the throne of our hearts now. Neither shall the priests and the Levites want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. That has to do with spiritual Israel there because they're not offering sacrifices anymore. The handwriting of ordinances brought it out, all the rituals. And then he says those magic words again. The word of the Lord came into Jeremiah saying... 
This is all God's words to Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord, if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night. What do you mean this covenant of the day and night? He tells you in Genesis, the eighth chapter. He said, if you can break my covenant of the day and night and that there should not be day and night in their season, then all you have to do is break my covenant. There will be no day and night anymore. Then my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign. The only way he could have a son, not have a son to reign, you gotta break my covenant that there'll be no day and night anymore. Well, let's go back to that covenant in Genesis 8. Genesis 8, 22. Genesis 8, 22. And he's given his covenant. While the earth remaineth, as long as the earth is here, seed time and harvest will be here, cold and heat will be here, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease, as long as the earth stands. So if you can break that covenant, then David won't have anybody to sit on his throne. What he's saying he will have, because you can't break that covenant. You can't stop day and night. That's part of God's covenant. And then he says, then he says in verse 21, Then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne. His son physically will be Christ. And with the Levites and the priests to my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered. He says that in Genesis 15. He tells Abraham, number the stars of heaven. Number was a term that meant to number in the order that they've been put up there. And they that talks about the Maseroth, or what we call the Zodiac, which is spiritually about Christ. It's not about all these gods that they made him out to be. Verse 22, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. I believe he's talking about the church here as well as anything else. I was going to go through spiritual Israel, but I won't do that right now. Do I have any time, Mike? Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, notice the word of the Lord Jesus comes to Jeremiah saying, before he's called Jesus, considerest thou not what this people have spoken saying? The two families, what are the two families? Northern Israel, southern Judah, which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off. And had Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome carry him away into captivity. One overthrows the other, and the other starts ruling Israel. When, when Babylon was overthrown by Persia, Israel didn't go anywhere. They just went immediately under the rule of Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome, and then all these nations that ruled them. Thus they have despised my people that they should no more be no more a nation before them. Thus saith the Lord, if my covenant be not with be not with day and night, you had to break God's covenant of day and night. That's not even possible. You gotta stop the earth from turning to do that. 
And if I have not appointed the ordinance of heaven and earth, that's the day and the night. He's saying something quite ridiculous. You got to stop day and night to stop my covenant. That's what he's saying. Then will I cast away the seed of Jacob. He's never going to cast away the seed of Jacob because you can't stop day and night. And David, my servant, so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham. But we just read over in, in Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, David is going to be his king forever. And that means Christ. doesn't mean David. It means Jesus. And I will cause their captivity to return. Every time this is said, we read about it. After 2,600 years, from 586 B.C. to May of 1948, they were ruled by the world. And I've, I've got proof of that here in all these. These are all the people that ruled them for 2,600 years. And have mercy on them. That has not happened quite yet. He's made him into a body, but he hasn't breathed spiritual life into Israel yet. I believe because of these verses, there has to be a remnant there. But if they come in and believe Jesus, they'll have to come with us. He said, no man comes of the Father but by me. So they have to come through Christ. I've learned that they don't know who Jesus is over in Israel. I've talked to people. And they say, well, I don't know who he is and if he's God or if he's not. They're just kind of like in the dark. Let's begin 34. 34, the word which came into Jeremiah from the Lord. There we are again. I don't know how many times the word of the Lord came into Jeremiah. I need to count it. Not by taking my Bible and counting through it. Take a concordance and look up word. And every time in Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came into me saying, The word came into Jeremiah when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his army, and all the kings of the earth of his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem. This is amazing. People don't know. They were called to fight Jerusalem. And they were told, all you have to do is go with Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon for 70 years. I'll move upon the hearts of these pagan kings to give decrees to go back and rebuild the temple. And they'll make the way open for you to go back. It's about 650 miles from Babylon and the Euphrates back to Jerusalem. Most of them don't want to go. They said, it's a wasteland over there. They got into Babylon. They were set free. And they all began to prosper and build houses and companies and have all of the things that they wanted. And they said, why would we want to go back to a wasteland? They had to go back and build the temple. That's what we have to do is build this temple of God. I could go into that further, but I don't need, I don't have time right now. And then he says, Thus saith the Lord to the God, the God of Israel, and speak to Zedekiah, the last king of southern Judah, and tell him, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. How you like that, Zedekiah? And you're going to go with it. 
And he shall burn this town with fire. He's going to burn it to the ground. What do you think of that, Zedekiah? This is Jeremiah telling Zedekiah this. This is why he keeps locking him up in prison. He's going through the streets and saying all these kind of things. And the princes of Israel come and say, Zedekiah, can we kill this man? He is disheartening us so bad we don't know what to do. He said, you can hang him in the mire. They said the mire, some of the writers say the mire was human waste. I got that picture back there. Jeremiah hanging in the mire that was painted by this young man over in Chattanooga before he died. And it's just amazing. Under the bottom of it, I got to Jeremiah hanging in the mire and it says, this is the beginning of Christianity, something like that. Thou shalt not escape. He's talking to Zedekiah. You're not, this is Jeremiah, you're not going to escape. You can't. God's in this. But shall surely be taken and delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. What do you think about that, Zedekiah? And the, thine eyes shall behold the eyes of the king of Babylon. But he doesn't tell him after he kills your sons in front of the eyes of the king, he's going to take a hot poker and punch your eyes out and you'll be carried away to Babylon blind, Zedekiah. And Zedekiah doesn't listen to Jeremiah. He hears, but he can't obey. And speak with thee mouth to mouth, and thou shalt go to Babylon. Ain't no question about it, Zedekiah. You're going whether you like it or not. Yet hear the word of the Lord, Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the Lord of thee, Thou shalt not die by the sword, but you're going to be crippled. You're going to go there blind. But thou shalt die in peace with the burnings of thy fathers. The word burnings is a word. Misrapha means cremation. They'll cremate you in Babylon. And you won't die an unusual death. You'll die of old age blind because you didn't listen. The former kings which were before thee, so shall they burn odors for thee, and they will lament thee, saying, Ah, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, saith the Lord. Then Jeremiah, the prophet, spake all these words unto Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem. And when the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem, boy, that's, that is crazy. That's insane. You're going to fight the king of the world because you've been disobeying God. You wonder how, why can't they see? I think that about American preachers. Why can't they see? They don't want to see. They think, well, Jim Brown can say that. I'll go on having my fun. Oh, you will till you die or till God kills you. And against all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish and against Azekah, for these defense cities remained of the cities of Judah. 
verse 8, this is the word that came into Jeremiah from the Lord after that the king Zedekiah had, but this guy lies right straight through his teeth every time he turns around. They have to be going into the year of Jubilee here. The year of Jubilee is the 50th year. Every seven years, they had a, a sabbatical year. They had seven sets of these seven years. When they got to the 50th year, that was called the year of Jubilee. At the year of Jubilee, according to the 25th chapter of Leviticus, at the year of Jubilee, they had to turn loose all of their bond slaves. A bond slave was a person that would be a slave until the year of Jubilee. Then everything had to be forgiven. Everybody had to go back to square one, start at go again. Nobody collected $200. Every debt was forgiven. That's what that must be happening here. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. After that, the king Zedekiah made a covenant with all the people which were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty unto them. This has to be the year of Jubilee. That every man should let his manservant and every man, his maidservant, being an Hebrew or Hebrewist, go free. That none should serve himself of them to wit as of a Jew his brother. Now when all the princes and all the people which had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should let his manservant and his, everyone his maidservant go free, that none should serve themselves and them any more, and then they obeyed and let them go. But afterwards, after they did this, they turned and caused the servants and the handmaids to come back. You're not free anymore. They begin to violate God's law again at the year of Jubilee. To return and brought them into subjection for servants and for handmaids. Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, let ye every man his brother and Hebrew, which he hath been sold unto thee, and when he has served these six years, thou shalt let him go free from thee, but his, but your fathers hearken not unto me, neither incline therein. You're not either. Every time they turn around, they violated God's word. That was the way God kept everything in check, and he kept greed to a minimum. If you bought land all over Israel, and you were a super hustler, and you got land in Judah and land in Benjamin, land in Reuben and land in Gad. After 50 years, you had to give it all back to the original owners. Start off with nothing. That'd be a good way to control greed, wouldn't it? Donald Trump would lose everything that he got, and so would Bill Gates, and so would all those rich guys. And you were now turned and had done right in my sight and proclaiming liberty every man to his neighbor. And you had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. If you notice, you can't even read Jeremiah and interpret what he's saying without going to the other books of the Bible, can you? Because he's talking about contracts, witnesses, talking about, he's talking about the 70 years. 
He's talking about all of it. Talks about the 70 years in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. But you turned and polluted my name, my shem, my authority, and caused every man his servant and every man his handmaid, whom he had set at liberty at their pleasure to return and brought them into subjection to be unto you for servants and for handmaids. You went exactly opposite of my law. It seems like Jeremiah doesn't cut slack every little thing they broke, every big thing they broke. He tells them all about it and says, Zedekiah, you're not going to escape this. You're going to die, but you'll be old age, but you're going to be carried into Babylon. And Zedekiah tried to escape. He went out the garden house, and he was running. He was told not to run, to go peaceably to Babylon, and everything would be okay. So he takes off running when when the Babylonian soldiers come into the house. They catch him. We see that in this book. We see it in the twenty fifth chapter of Second Kings. We see it we see it in Jeremiah where that he Jeremiah's taken that Zedekiah is taken before Babylon Babylon king Nebuchadnezzar and his sons are killed. Zedekiah's sons are killed while he's looking. And then they punch Zedekiah's eyes out, tie his hands behind his back, drag him naked to Babylon, 650 miles away. He has to walk all the way. They don't let him ride. Verse 17, Therefore thus saith the Lord, He hath not hearkened unto me. Every time he says that, he said, You're disobeying. I'm out of time. I'll have to come back. I was going to show you that the sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast is in verse 17. It's everywhere in Jeremiah's writings. I'll stop here because I've got so much more to say. I'll come back to verse 17. Let me mark that. Because I want to say some things about that. And about 18, there's so much... If you notice, Jeremiah doesn't cut any slack anywhere. He approaches everything you can imagine, how they broke the law. They never kept it. Well, I don't think American so-called Christians are keeping the law of God. They say the law is done away with. You mean you can go kill? You mean you can go and steal? You can covet? You can do all the things you're not supposed to do. The law is not done away with. The rituals of the law are done away. The law is still here. Do we make void the law through faith? Yea, we establish the law through faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and truth. Thank you for Jeremiah. What a magnificent man he is. Thank you for Isaiah and Ezekiel and Amos and the rest of them. God help us to... Help us to take a stand like Jeremiah did. He wasn't feeling good all the time. He said, I quit at times, just like Elijah said, I quit. Sometimes we want to do that, but there's no place to stop. Give us strength to continue, make me strong. Cause me to continue to love this truth the way you have. And let me expound it to the people so they can see what they need to be doing. We'll give you praise for everything, glorify you for everything you do, the good and the bad. Fight our battles. We can't fight. In Christ's name we pray, man.
I can't preach Jeremiah without preaching these other people too, without getting into Isaiah.